it's not it. if it's not useful then we won't use it but yeah and you know we'll just talk to each other it's just here yeah okay. it's fine <laughs> thank you for watching that with me yeah you just watched uh mission joy <laughs> yeah that's what it was called it's basically about the friendship of desmond tutu and the dalai lama mm-hmm and we were just talking about wellness as a skill that you can learn as opposed to something that's only for certain brains or bodies or whatever. Yeah, so we really liked I really liked that there there's a segment that I really enjoyed about taking what it was it was a couple of monks and there's people who have meditated. Yeah, so so and put uh, them through some brain scans. Yeah. And they, they had a control group of people who had never meditated, same gender, same age, mm -hmm. and then monks, Tibetan monks specifically, because the Dalai Lama was like heading up this process with a neuroscientist, um, and put them in a situation where they would feel pain <laughs> and see what their brain does, yeah, basically. Right. And so, the what that displayed, first of all, the doctor on the TV, it was really interesting to be able to see that he was like, people thought we were crazy for trying to measure joy. Study kindness and compassion. To study kindness and compassion versus what most studies are trying to do, which is trying to understand anger and depression. Well, and, and that's what he was doing. Like the scientist who, whose name I'm forgetting is like, he was saying most of my career up till that point was studying the quote unquote disturbed mind. Right. right. It was studying anxiety. It was studying fear, just studying depression. And the Dalai Lama was like, why can't you use these same scientific tools to study kindness? Right. Wild. <laughs> yeah. So they put them through these scans and essentially showed on screen the difference between the pain centers lighting up at you know, which, what different times for people who had meditated versus people who are not doing that practice. And there's like a low tone and a high tone that would, that would play. And as like a warning signal of sort that like, they in a, know in a that few if seconds, a high tone plays in 10 seconds, you're going to get on, on this wrist, you're going to get a really hot, painful zap. And right. if it's a low tone, you know, in 10, 10 seconds, you're going to get a warm feeling, but it's not going to hurt. Right. So essentially, the people, people's brains who have meditated or not even just meditation, but prayer and like kind of regular mindfulness practices that quiet practices, quiet practices that when they felt, when they heard the chime or the buzz, that their the people who had meditated kept their brain calm until the moment of physical pain to which the brain then lit up. Yep, the pain centers then, lit up normally. But then immediately started to recede. Whereas mm -hmm. the person who who haven't ha hasn't gone through regular meditative practice had started to amp up their pain centers in their brain the second that they heard the noise. Yeah, the pain the second that they heard the noise, nothing was happening. It was just the noise. Mm -hmm. It was the warning signal and all their pain centers lit up. Right. And then they stayed lit up through that 10 seconds, through the pain actually happening, and then they continued to stay lit up after. Mm -hmm. So it was like they couldn't let go of the pain. They right. were, like, ruminating on the pain, and it was sh it was clear in their brain scans. Right. Even though pain wasn't physically happening. 
And so the takeaway there was that, like, wellness is a skill. Is that what he said, right? Yeah, yeah, because, again, like, the monks registered pain, but then released it the second that the pain wasn't happening. So they, in essence, had practiced the skill of being present with the sensations that are present in the moment, not ruminating on them. And it's backed up by those brain scans. And, yeah, that was the profound, what he called, like, radical finding basically was that wellness is a skill that can be learned. Mm -hmm. And so, and for me, especially because he was studying depression and things like that beforehand for him to get to that point tells me that there's like so much scientifically backed hope for people who feel like they can never be well because they have X, Y, and Z thing going on. You know, like Mm -hmm. I have depression, I have anxiety. I'm talking about me personally now, like I have mild OCD and none of those things are at the forefront for me anymore because I've practiced this skill right. of meditation. Right. And it sounds, and it's so funny because now that wellness is such a, I don't know, I think there's, as an industry, there's a lot of like interesting things going on, but it's, there's like a lot of memes around of like, oh, just meditate. Oh, just do these things. And it becomes this idea of like, oh, well I should be able to just turn it on and off. Right. And it's like, no, not necessarily, but yes, you can if you practice it. Mm-hmm. Like that wellness is a skill that can be learned. Well, I think, I think the assumption that is that if you learn how to meditate or do spiritual practices, that you'll never feel pain ever again. Right, and that is not true. But you'll just learn how to not hold on to pain unnecessarily. Like really, uh-huh. the, the thing that I pick up from spiritual leaders, especially in this case of like Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama was really this feeling of, of, um, of that, that joy is not the, the, the deprivation of pain or the, the absence of pain, but it's that you feel it as you need to feel it. And you are able to come back to center or let it go or to feel the other side of, of what pain gets you to, to feel through it and feel joy on the other side of it. Like there's, it's much more complicated than that, but it's also much simpler than that at the same time. Well, they were talking about joy as being, um, it's a result and not something that you chase, you know, like joy, joy is a result of, um, which makes me think of compassion to yourself and then bringing compassion to others, which makes me think of that, First of all, that idea that meditation is some sort of shortcut to joy Mm-mm. and that I've experienced a lot of people who are trying to use spirituality or meditation as like a drug. or yoga <laughs> or dancing or movement or whatever as this like means to reach mental orgasm right. at any given time to try to access pleasure without experiencing pain. Right. Because there's this, there's a, there's this like, it's like almost this idea of meditation as a way to, to bypass or avoid pain. And I feel like this scientific study and like this whole thing is talking about the fact that it's just a normal part of our nature as being in the human existence. The, just like we're going to feel pain and suffering. And that's yeah. just part of it. It's right. not ever something that we're going to be able to get rid of. Right. But you don't have to 
hold on to it longer than it's actually happening. Yeah, and, and much of the time it feels like the the work of spiritual leaders, and I'm attuning myself to the, this kind of like what I'm looking for that I can actually be a support for in life is not necessarily the avoidance of suffering, which tends to be the case, especially in American culture. There's a, there's a pain, very low, low pain tolerance, low suffering tolerance. And that's actually bringing us more suffering ironically. Yeah. Yeah. That we have a bit of a pain management system, not a healthcare system in terms of that sense, not a wellness system, not a wellness system. Um, but that it's, Helping to alleviate unnecessary suffering, mm-hmm. meaning suffering that is caused by the impedance of sovereignty. People living their lives and other people feeling like they need to bully or own other lives or take control of other lives in order to feel important or to feel a sense of purpose or to justify a negative relationship to a spiritual or religious mission or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that to me reads as unnecessary suffering versus just, just the necessity of life of going through things that involve suffering. And that leads me to like this other thing that I took away from this, from mission joy is Mm -hmm. what it's called, right? Mission joy. Mm -hmm. Um, it was on Netflix. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing I took away, or at least that I picked up in particularly the work that Desmond Tutu did through apartheid and in South Africa, especially while Nelson Mandela was in jail and for 27 years years and doing a lot of work is this idea of commitment. Because for myself, my lately I've been feeling like I'm trying to find this way to not get trapped in the political extremes of of what people are saying or what it looks like Mm -hmm. to be that and try not to be that. But there's also this other area of not getting trapped in non-commitment by being trapped in the middle or by saying I'm not that. And therefore by default, I'm doing good for the world. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, there's so many things that just came up in my brain while you were saying that. So I'm going to try to sort through them in an orderly fashion. But one of the things that I was just thinking about was that we have a tendency to like, I'll give my own example is leaving the evangelical Christian church. And then for a long time being like anti-Christianity Yeah. and it's like Ram Dass talks about if you're hating on the thing or anti the thing, it, it still has you like yeah. you're still part of that polarization. It's the same energy. It's right. the exact same energy. Right. It just isn't in a different costume. Right. Um, and when you were talking about commitment, I think that's something that does seem to be a real problem is that a lot of us are leaning more towards like centrism and being in the middle and seeing a little more of the complexity of the situation. But again, for me, that's been very, um, demoralizing the last year in that it's it's I've let it make me impotent in mm-hmm. like sharing my beliefs and opinions and feelings about things yeah. because I'm like oh well if I'm not at the extremes there's just so much noise right you know and I don't want to add to the noise and that to be committed you have to be at the extreme is, right is the yeah, belief. there's kind of this there's a lot of language policing 
which is really unhelpful. And I'm sure that we'll talk about that more because I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time. Yeah. Um, but also, which is more about permission than the language, which is a teaser for that. <laughs> yes. It's more about the audacity of saying what you want as opposed to following the either liberal or whatever the fuck, <laughs> like, um, or, or prescribed language yeah. that we're supposed to be using. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing that I was thinking about is that it's like, I, I think of Desmond Tutu as like committed but I almost think more of the word devotion. That he's he has a devotion to humanity. Yeah. And Dalai Lama talks about it too. He's like, I'm never thinking about people in terms of their roles or mm. their titles. I'm just always looking at them as human beings. Yeah. And it's interesting because in the beginning of this documentary, they say like, oh, these two could not be more different. And it's interesting yeah. because I also think they could not be more the same. Yeah. In that they're both they're kindred. They're kindred spirits, and they're both devoted to humanity. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter through, where... Through the lens of their their religion and spiritual experience. And, yeah, those uh, are the country. tools. Yeah. yeah, those are the tools to get them there. Yeah. Um, but it's really a devotion to humanity and, and human the human experience and, and compassion. Right. Um, and meeting people where they are in the present, which brings me all the way back to the meditation experiment. <laughs> yeah. Um, because also Dalai Lama talks about in that documentary, um, wise selfishness versus foolish selfishness mm. <laughs> and part of devotion to humanity. Like the only way that you can do that with compassion is to, um, cultivate the compassion for yourself and your inner peace. Like it has to come from the inside out. It can't be from the outside in. Um, and so he talks about that. He's like the wise being wise, selfish (laughs) means that, you know, you need to take care of yourself and your heart and your spirit Mm -hmm. and, you know, mindfulness, meditation, all of that first. Yeah. And then that is a conduit for being devoted to humanity in like a compassionate way. Yeah. Um, and then the foolish, the foolish, selfish is just wanting to do things for your own benefit. Yeah. You know, I think the only reason your own pleasure even I love the word devotional or devoted mm-hmm. because because it feels more of a spiritual practice to me. Yeah, I think the only reason I use committed is so that I could say non-committal because mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing. Yeah, or or like freeze or default to I guess. Yeah. Or I've noticed my I should say I notice myself. Yeah. At times defaulting to creating, like I, I'm. I feel no longer, this is me personally, but I feel no longer naive to the idea that there is good and evil in the world, but my definitions of good and evil are not necessarily like biblical or mythic. Yeah. Can we talk about our definition of good and evil has to do with consciousness? Because I think that's really. Yeah. I, I, I think of good as, um, conscious, aware, uh, awake, open, awake, open, uh, doing, doing, uh, being, being helpful, supportive, mm-hmm. um, putting, giving more into the world than you're taking. Yeah. Um, I mean, that could also be a tactic totally to get. Yeah. So that's like, there's a carefulness there. Yeah. It's but I think heart intention, I think good. If I'm really getting to the, if I'm getting to the nitty gritty of it, I think good is a net positive of the human experience Mm. 
adding to the net positive of the human experience. By the net positive, I mean is like, do people have resources? Are they able to, you know, survive and feel loved and have the, you know, light and guidance and love and support and belonging and and opportunity? Um, You know, I, I feel like those things are good for all humanity to feel. And I think on the other side, what I would defer to as evil, mm-hmm. and I say that in quotes, yeah. um, is being unconscious, mm-hmm. being ruthless, being, yeah. I mean, there, there are times when you have to be ruthless for the sake of good. So ruthless is maybe not the best word. But I think like but, good being conscious and evil being unconscious has, is a really profound, it's way too simplistic, but it also is like, for me, has become a really helpful, simple frame. I think deeply, I I think deeply unconscious. Yes. Deeply unconscious. Um, not just like saying you don't know when you actually know, you know, like, but ignorant in some sense. Yeah. It's not ignorant. It's literally Mm. just at a place. It, what it makes me think of Mm -hmm. is the Rumi poem, which is very long, so I won't quote the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but there's a Rumi poem where he talks about seeing himself as all of these elements and all of these different kind of people and experiencing himself as consciousness. And he's talking about how he is, he's like, I'm both the poor slave girl on the ship who threw herself over the side because she was just raped. And I'm also the pirate who did the raping because Mm -hmm. I'm not conscious yet to love and I'm not able to love. Yeah. And it's like just not in a developmental even like place on a soul level yeah. to be able to know the difference. Right. And so that's really interesting to me thinking about it like mm-hmm. that, especially as someone who's come from a background of very like moralistic lens of good and evil. Yeah. Like, oh, these people are evil because they don't believe the same thing as me. Right. You know? And I, and I don't think of good and evil as like permanent states either. They're not, especially if we're talking about it being conscious and unconscious because unconsciousness eventually with enough poking (laughs) and like, you know, um, fermentation for lack of a better word can like turn into something else. Right. Become consciousness. And and I guess one of the reasons I brought up the good and evil ideas that made me think of the, the idea of devotion commitment made me think of what what someone or at least what I find valuable to be devoted to and Ken Wilber has this 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 um, sort of three things that he's that he says is like what he's essentially devoted to and it's it's good truth and beauty mm-hmm. and depending on your your developmental <laughs> lens that can mean very very different things yeah but I think those who are seeking on some sort of spiritual path or trying to improve their lives or trying to, you know, to, to put it bluntly, like get over your own shit. Mm-hmm. Like there is a beacon in a direction. And I feel like the beacon in a direction is towards goodness, truth, and beauty, trying to understand and see things as they are, which is what allows that person in the MRI scanner who has done spiritual practice and and meditation, they're responding to what is, Mm -hmm. they're not responding to their own imagination. Right. That's why they're responding to 
the actual pain and not the anticipation of the pain mm-hmm. and or not the, the clenching m- of the pain after or the memory of the pain mm-hmm. and continuing to hold it yeah which and is like, what that is <laughs> what i'm thinking about how such a wild thing to say in the climate right now of how much we're talking about like trauma and uh-huh. things like that like yeah. which i think is also a very important conversation yeah but something that I've noticed in the conversation is that we're starting to get, some of it is starting to get to a place where we're so fixated on the trauma Uh that we can't be present. Like Mm -hmm. we can't practice these things. We can't like we're clenching onto the trauma and that's actually creating more breakage. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like holding my hands together as I'm saying this. And it always makes me think of, um, when I was in, uh, college and I was in my first modern dance class and I remember being so (laughs) triggered for lack of a better word by my teacher because she was like here here's this really complicated movement phrase okay like now go do it yep and I was like I can't Mm -hmm. and she was like you don't know and also yeah no you can't (laughs) Yeah. yeah but like you have to do you have to just try and embody it and feel what it feels like and then yield into the floor as opposed to like being afraid, like inhaling, that's when you get, that's when you get injured is when you clench up. Right. Cause you're not open. You're not yielding. You're not surrendering to what is in the moment. Right. You're thinking about all the other moments. And by the way, like I'm thinking about things that I'm working through with like things with my parents and my childhood and stuff. And it's like the Dalai Lama in this documentary talks about that, that there's different ways to look at things. You know, he became a refugee when he was 24 yeah. He lost his country. Yeah. He's never been back. Yeah. You know, um, 54 years of yeah. being a refugee. Uh-huh. And um, Desmond Tutu talks about how, by rights, the Dalai Lama should be able to be a sourpuss. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because <laughs> that sucks, you right. know? like You deserve to be sad. You deserve to be sad. You're a yeah. refugee. Like, all of these things. And the Dalai Lama kind of giggles. Um, highly recommend watching this just for their giggles, by the way. It's so good. It is pretty, it is pretty infectious. <laughs> um, yeah. but he just giggles and says, yeah, I mean, you can look at it through one perspective and say, oh, how sad. Oh, awful. Oh, traumatic. You know, I'm adding that. And, or you could look through it another way as an opportunity. And he was saying like, you know, I could have stayed in that gilded cage but I prefer to be a refugee because I can help more. Like I can be open more. I can bring compassion to the world. And so basically the point with that is that there's more than one way to look at things. And, um, part of meditation practice is being able to mentally like cognitively shift how you look at things. Reframe, reframe, cognitive reframing. That's part of the Buddhist practice is Mm -hmm. cognitive reframing. Yeah. Which is usually a, Usually a positive practice. There's actually certain personality types and NFJs usually, mm-hmm. or NJs, I should say, that use introverted intuition. And we're talking about Myers-Briggs. With personality types. Yeah. Um, that can kind of almost abuse that. Mm. But I think most people would benefit from cognitive reframing of taking a, of, of, of at least not getting fixated on one specific narrative, narrative. narrative. Right. Whereas it's possible to ignore sadness that you actually need to feel right as well with mm-hmm. reframing. So it's like, yeah. there's great care there. And the, the idea is like, Attention. even though it is like, it's like trauma, I feel is 
is a real thing people experience Mm -hmm. and it's very real in the moment for people and and it can be something that is impeding life movement for a long time yeah that really like messes up the system but it's also really tricky to not cling to it as a narrative that defines your life and that you're always going to be like this and you're always going to be stuck like this Mm -hmm. you'll never never heal now, like, there are things that can never change. Like, I lost my brother. I lost yeah. my uncle recently. I lost mm-hmm. two other family members yeah. in the last couple of years. That's not going to be undone. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that really happened. That's a trauma that's, like, that's just a very real part of my experience. Mm-hmm. But I also am living with it. And when it comes, especially as I'm talking about it, you feel it, breathe into it, and then I, I have to let it go. I can't, I can't hold it forever because that's just going to clench, clench, clench. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are times throughout the Mission Joy documentary, and thank you again for sharing it with me, mm-hmm. that you really feel the balance of joy and pain, mm-hmm. pleasure and pain, essentially, yeah. in keeping everything balanced and centered. Mm-hmm. Because I think Ramdas said something to the effect of without the giant peaks of joy, the dips are not as bad either. Mm-hmm. It wasn't any, put anywhere right. like that, but yeah. it's the idea that if you're keeping everything balanced, you know, you're by not trying to live a life of heightened pleasure all the time, highs and joys and dopamine hits and mm. and opiate hits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right. that the dips are not going to be as deep to balance that out. And that that balance is there and necessary. Like I've talked about it on my podcast over 500 episodes about my highs and dips like that's been a theme well yeah and like if you're chasing extremes if like that's what you're going after and also can relate because for most of my life as an enfp enneagram four (laughs) yes extremes like Mm -hmm. highs and lows Mm -hmm. but it's almost like this graph of like the more you're leaning into trying to have these extreme experiences which i feel like also comes from not not being satisfied just in like the baseline of existence, you know, you get extreme crashes along with the extreme highs, which you know personally too. Well, which is interesting that you say that because I've noticed within myself and other people, you being an Enneagram 4, maybe you can speak to this. Yeah. There's pleasure in pain. Yeah. There's pleasure. Well, Enneagram 4s, we're like... We're so good at just like soaking in the mud. Well, this this is another thing that's maybe not very PC to say, but sometimes people cut themselves to for joy. They cut themselves to feel something. Right. Right. And I'm not saying it's like a ha ha ha. I'm cutting myself. Like that's not what it means. No. What it means is that there is a release of chemicals as the result of feeling joy, or results of feeling pain. That yeah, that inherently balances out yeah. the pain that you're feeling. It might be less like cutting for joy, because as someone who did cut a bit um, in my teen years, like it's more like 
cutting for release, and then that release ends up bringing, like, relief. Right. Yeah, it's not really like cutting for joy. It's like trying to feel anything. And also, I should probably separate the word joy from yeah, pleasure. because joy and pleasure are not the That's same. That's really what I mean is, like, a relief or yeah. pleasure. Yeah, some sort of a release. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not even saying that, like incriminatingly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not like trying to call anyone out or tra- call you out by no, saying that. I'm just, I'm just bringing the balance. But I'm like just talking through it. Like I'm yeah. talking with you to talk through that, that thought process mm-hmm. of this interesting either way. If you try to sink just into self-deprecation <laughs> or bringing up past traumas all the time yeah. or even physically like hurting yourself mm-hmm. that that may also be in the pursuit of pleasure mm-hmm. as like a temporary fix or a temporary avoidance or some sort of temporary, yeah. you know, away and <laughs> from what is. Well, it's interesting because it makes me think of another thing that like when the Dalai Lama was talking about wise selfishness versus foolish selfishness. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about foolish selfishness being doing things just for you. Yeah. Um, versus doing things for you for then also the benefit of the all too. Right. Um, actually made me think of the scientific study that they did to accompany that. Yeah. Um, that was talking about how they did all of these, um, clinical trials basically. Um, but instead of medicine, it was like happiness things, like Mm -hmm. things that practices for happiness and like what happens on the DNA level of people when they regularly help people. And the person who was doing the study was talking about how when people help someone else to help the other person, they usually experience joy and they experience it for weeks afterwards. Right. And then when they're helping someone in order to make themselves feel better, Mm -hmm. they experience joy in the moment. Right. But it does not last. It's a shorter hit. It's a shorter hit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's like, yeah. So it made me think of that. That is an interesting distinction. And you could do the same activity, but with a different intention yeah. It's either medicine or not. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I just appreciated experiencing, like there is, like, it's just, a, it's such a, that's why the, the importance between the joy and pleasure distinction is important mm-hmm. in that I, I, I've personally, and also having experienced it through what we just watched. Mm-hmm. Joy is all of it. Joy is satisfaction. Joy is satisfaction. With yes, that was the word. Life. That was the Joy other word. Joy is bigger than happiness. Like, yeah. And they talk about it in the beginning. It's right. like people are always going after It's interesting that even in our constitution, it's like, quote unquote, the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm-hmm. It really fucked us. Because yeah. when you're pursuing happiness, you won't find it. Yeah. Joy is a byproduct of satisfaction from a meaningful life. Yeah. It, and it, happiness is a sensation, pleasure is a sensation, but yeah. joy is like a deeper bedrock, longer lasting thing. Well, and I, I think it's okay to pursue things. Yeah. But but it's I, I think like happiness as this like permanent state is an illusion. But joy is is this whole everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we're saying. 
uh, satisfaction is such an interesting word too, in that satisfaction is relative to our expectations. Mm -hmm. Satisfaction is like, I'm very satisfied just sitting here talking to you. Yeah. Like I'm nothing's missing. Nothing's imperfect. I don't need anything. I'm starting to get a little hungry, yeah. but like, we'll probably have to wrap this up for but, our, our but, hunger needs. But, <laughs> but you know, like that's not necessarily distracting me from enjoying the moment. Yeah. And there is this, there's something about thinking about continually holding on to traumas or sadness or depression, not talking about chemical needing help from doctor depression, right. but by the way, I take SSRIs. I'm on antidepressants, and that helps. But yeah, like, I mean, modernism yeah. is very powerful in yeah. plenty of things that are helping people to stay alive. And Yeah, it's and, a balance of the yes and. Yeah, right. and those are conversations with a therapist and a doctor, et cetera, et cetera, for legal reasons, because this is being recorded. Also, we're not therapists. And we're, we're not therapists. We're just talking about we're, our experience. We're just humans talking, <laughs> as I have been for the last 500 episodes. Yeah, um, but now I'm here, too, but now you're here with too. my voice. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, what was I saying? I was saying um, that, yes, this, so sometimes this clinging or I feel that sometimes this clinging to trauma is an aspect of being unsatisfied with some sort of expectation or specific expectation that you want out of your sadness. Mm -hmm. Like you want someone else to feel bad. That would make you feel satisfied or you want your parents to feel something that would make you feel satisfied or something that like is a, almost unattainable uh, type of satisfaction. You want out of the present experience. And you want out of the present you're experience. Not, yeah, It's like, in, a, in essence, you're not um, being present with reality. You're yeah. being present with all of your expectations of what you want reality to be. And when I say, when I say you, quote yeah. unquote, I'm talking about like my experience. Like, cause that's what I've, yeah. Felt for a long time. I, I blamed my parents for a lot of things right. or I blamed my work or my circumstance or even my mental health or whatever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was me continually, suffering. continually not accepting or not appreciating things as they are. Yeah. And I think Michael Signer just talks about over and over of like getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. And there's this really beautiful illustration that he has of like, it's like you're a bird that's fallen on the water and you've forgotten that you have wings. <laughs> it's like the water is, and so you want to get out of the water. So you start moving and you start panicking and you're making the water move faster. And you're like, Oh no, this water's out to get me. <laughs> and the waves are so big. The waves are so big. And then like your first thought is like, Oh, I hope someone, I hope the waves will just stop. But then right. you're still thrashing. And then if you're on Twitter, you yell that someone should stop these waves in the world. <laughs> yeah. Someone else should stop the waves. Right. <laughs> or maybe something will come along and save me. Yeah. All the while forgetting that you have wings and you are, n you are not a part of the water. No. That you can be present and you have sovereignty and you have choice. And you have the ability to... Be present and devote yourself to something. Devote yourself to practice regularly, mm -hmm. and devote yourself to joy and putting out putting good juju in the world, juju. so to speak. Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm, I I always end up sounding preachy when I know the 
that the audio is recording. But no, we're just we're really <laughs> just like talking about our own experience. Yeah. Um, because as you were talking about that, I actually thought about something that I shared this weekend with our friends Joel and Antonia of Personality Hacker. Like we spent a weekend with them, and I'm still post processing because we always do some really intense deep dives. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things I shared that feels really relevant is myself learning to practice holding paradox of like what is as mm. part of my satisfaction practice. Yeah. Um, and the example of that that I brought up was, so I've had an interesting relationship with my parents. I think everybody has an interesting relationship with their parents because mm. they're the ones that like trigger you the most in some ways. And like, they really, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of expectations attached. Yeah. Stuff there's like, a lot of expectations. And for, in both directions. <laughs> in, both, in all the directions. Yeah. And for a really long time, I was really upset that my relationship with my parents wasn't the way that I wanted it to be. Yeah. Right? Like, um, that it didn't match the expectations or, like, the high hopes that I had. And so I've recently shifted into this place of, Allowing myself when the grief for that comes up, I feel it yeah. and I let it move through me. Yeah. And also I'm starting to reckon with just, just the reality of the situation and finding a lot of satisfaction in, let me, let me call my mom and just see how she is in this present moment and try to be with her as a human being right now. Yeah. Just as she is. Right. You know, um, like Ram Das says, like, just being like, oh, how'd you get in that one? <laughs> you know, yeah. just like being with the other human yeah. in who they are right now. Yeah. And not, and it's so hard because we're so used to like, you know, holding on to our narratives and our images of the person um, that has been them in the past. But really, like, it's, it's not fair because they're not the same person mm -hmm. anymore. Absolutely. You know? Thanks for letting me record this. Yeah. I want to have you on the show more. Yeah. And so I guess what, y'all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to talk to you for a yes. second. Um, I just, I think we've talked about this offline, but it's the idea that I want to bring you on because we have such com great conversations mm -hmm. around these kinds of topics. So many like hours long conversations that afterwards we've been like, we, we should have been recording. Them. Yeah. Yeah. You and you and I bring different perspectives thinker feeler masculine feminine energy yeah. there's a lot of um i don't know opportunity to talk about a lot of different things that I, I frankly i'm kind of just talking about myself and um i've done 500 episodes on this podcast mm -hmm. i want to start to evolve this thing into the next stages of what it is which still touches on some mental health things perhaps at times but mostly uh it, it's creative energy yeah. And we'll touch on that more specifically as we go. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's go make some dinner. Let's go make some All food. Right. Bye.